The sermon today is based on Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And we will look at it from the context of baptism, since today we're having two baptisms. But I want to begin by talking about masks. Masks, am I right? We've grown tired of them. We want to see exactly who is on the other side of the mask. We want to be able to read their lips, see their smile, perhaps their beautiful teeth. Masks are unnecessary in a healthy society, but in a wicked or sick society, masks are necessary. And as we've seen, the coronavirus in this last year has made society pretty ill in a lot of ways. But speaking of healthy societies, that is what God created in the beginning. You know, no masks, nothing covering up the face, open communication between God the Father and his creation. It was a healthy relationship. Yes, in the Old Testament with Adam and Eve, when they were with God in the Garden of Eden, they were perfect. They had perfect fellowship with him. There were no masks. Nothing that separated them from God. But after they disobeyed God's orders not to eat of the fruit of the tree, after they followed the desires of their own heart, suddenly they hid themselves from God. Like putting a mask on. Except in this case, they were probably leaves from a tree. And if we look at artwork from the Renaissance, it's usually fig leaves. But they crafted anyway to hide their nakedness. In other words, they stood bare before the Lord. They were afraid the Lord would see who they really are. Liars. Guilty. And that's what masks do, is cover up. So they hid themselves from God, and God had to search for them and find them. But the relationship wasn't the same. Suddenly it became unhealthy, and society following them became unhealthy as well. God did find them, however, with masks on. Well, because they were afraid. The mask protected them from being found out. It masked their wrong and disobedience. But let's skip a couple thousand years, though, and uh, look at the writings of St. Paul, particularly in Romans, chapters 1 and 2. Paul talks about this unhealthy relationship in this way when he writes to the Romans in chapter 1. He says, But they, from the beginning, chose to worship the desires of their own heart and leave God in the garden. Paul continues a little bit later, saying, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, God's eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made in creation. So people are really without excuse. They should know who God is. For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. We are all children of Abraham children of Adam, with consciences that know that there is a God. Everyone who's in the world today knows that they need to follow something. They need to cling to something that gives them their identity and hope. They need something to trust in. That's their God. So we all know that there is a God, but we don't know who God is. He's masked as well. So all humankind searches reaching out for objects, idols, things that give them meaning and hope and 
things that bring them pleasures of their heart, and we trust in them for our well-being and happiness and providence and sustenance even. And as a result, we, like Adam, no longer see God face to face in this created world. Most people barely see or acknowledge him in the majesty of creation, DNA. Paul says, therefore, God gave them over to the desires of their hearts. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creation rather than the creator. So like Adam and Eve, we also behind a mask of lies, covering up a guilty conscience. Because as Paul says, although they fully know the God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but also approve of those who practice them. Paul's talking about consciences as a mask. That little voice, you know, that we see on cartoons with the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. That's the conscience. The little voice that says, did you eat from the fruit of the tree? You know you did, and it was wrong. So Adam hides his masks. He masks his conscience. He lies. We inherit Adam. We inherit Adam's innate ability to mask his conscience. Like Adam and Eve, we too run and hide from God. We too mask guilty consciences by blame shifting and giving excuses and self-justification so that we don't feel as bad as we really feel deep down inside. We try to smooth it over. We try to look good. Did you eat that cookie when nobody was looking? You know you did. Why didn't you give that dollar back to the cashier when she overpaid you with the change? And you reply, it was her mistake. Did you fill in the blank? You know when you're guilty. Mask it so nobody notices. Nobody can see you. Our masks are a sign of our unhealthy relationship with God. We're sick. We need healing from sin, death, and the power of the devil. Our unhealthy actions reflect our unhealthy souls. But God also wears a mask. He must hide himself in the majesty of his natural creation, a creation that left him long ago that no longer knows him. He has to hide because if he were to look, if we were to look at him face to face in our sinfulness, we would be wiped from the face of the earth. Such is his righteous wrath against sin. Sort of like a cockroach in the house. When you see it, you want to destroy it and get it out. It's making everything dirty. Or like a dog who craps on the floor. You put it outside because it's just dirtied up the clean house that you have. So is God's righteous wrath against anything that dirties up his creation. You and me. We see it when the prophet Isaiah is called in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah. He comes into the throne room of God and he is speechless because he knows his sins. He is guilty, deserving not to be in God's presence. He says he will die. He knows that he is going to die in God's presence. He can't even approach him until God takes one of the coals from the fire and purges the sin from his mouth. And so it went with all of the prophets. Who am I to be worthy? And God chooses them and cleans them. It's always God who takes the first step. It's always God who unmasks himself. But he chooses to reveal himself, not in his holiness and wrath, but in mercy and forgiveness. But even while God masks his majesty and power in the natural world of creation, he unmasks himself and chooses to reveal himself through his word in mercy, grace, and love. 
So there are two masks which God actually wears, one in nature, and behind which we can no longer see his awesome power because of sin. And on the other hand, he, his mask, he masks his greatest treasure, salvation, unknown to the natural world, designed to defeat sin and death and restore his creation to himself once again. He reveals to us, to you and to me, a glimpse of his holiness, a glimpse of his love. He masks his love and mercy in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. He, we glimpse our eternal life through faith hidden in Christ's death and resurrection. Herein lies the beauty of which John speaks in his gospel. In the beginning of the word was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And through this same word of Christ, he masks his love and forgiveness, giving us his body and blood in, with, and under bread and wine, in which Christ's words, take and eat my body, take, drink my blood, at once hide his majesty, but also offer and bestow his forgiveness and mercy. And now, today, look, behold God's mask, baptism, offering forgiveness and salvation through his word combined with water. We baptize in the name of the Father, that is, he who claims us as his children. We are made his children again, restored, purged of our sin, not merely the sin of Adam and Eve, but from all sin. As his child, he claims us not by anything we've done. It's never by anything we do, because he chose us. And we baptize in the name of the Son, and as Paul says later in chapter 6, of his letter to the Romans, we are baptized into Christ's death so that we are resurrected as well in new life, not living again, not becoming to life again, but a new, brand new life, totally different, totally new, totally created in Christ, created by his word with water in and through his son. And we baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit who gives faith through the hearing of his word, because Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, faith comes through hearing, and hearing comes through the preached word of God. So we have it totally. Paul writes to Titus, there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one Savior. And Peter in his first letter says, and compares Noah and the ark with the flood to the waters of baptism, where he says, the waters of baptism which now save you. No one saves himself, nor was anyone saved in the water and the flood, only those whom God had chosen. So after today, Carter and Wyatt, you are children of God. God has unmasked his presence to you and his grace to you and has given it to you and claimed you as his children, as he has claimed all of us. And God's free gift of forgiveness is given to all. When Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have taught you. And this promise is for all people. Christ says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. As the Holy Spirit works faith in us through the preaching and teaching of God's word, so he also in the same way brings us to faith through his word in the waters of baptism. Baptism is God's gift to us through water joined with his word. He commands it. 
We receive God's gift through faith. Faith is believing and accepting what God has done through his word and water and baptism, making us his own. We are now his, and he is ours. No masks required. A healthy relationship given anew. But baptism is a part of that command, go and make disciples. Baptism is not meant to be a magical end in and of itself, wherein we receive baptism and walk away from that relationship. To grow and remain in this gift, our Lord says, baptize and teach. Teaching helps us remain in one true faith. God's word, our worship, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, the life of the church and congregation is to cultivate the healthy relationship with God the Father restored through his Son, Jesus Christ, which brings us to our Proverbs text. Proverbs 22 says, Train a child in the way he or she should go, and they will not depart from it. In our culture, we prize education so much that we oftentimes read this verb train to mean education. All of us who are baptized have probably gone to Sunday school, perhaps confirmation, first communion, youth group, etc., etc. This, we see, is instruction. We see this as the training in the way a child should go. So for a while, anyway, after the kids are baptized, there are some parents who drop off their kids to Sunday school while they go out for breakfast. The child is getting a good education. After they're done with breakfast, they come and pick the child up. What did you learn? Or mom brings the kids and dad stays home, or dad brings the kids and mom stays at home. So we ask, what is the child actually learning? That's not what Proverbs is talking about. When Proverbs uses the word train, it does not mean drop off at school or provide a good education of reading and writing or memory verses. The Hebrew word means to train up, to dedicate, to discipline, like an athlete trains for sports or like a soldier trains for battle. Train your child. It is dedicating the child to the Lord, consecrating the child for the Lord, to live as the Lord's child. This proverb pictures, it pictures a child who is dedicated by parents to the Lord and morally trained to follow him. The child is trained through the modeling of the Christian life of the parents. Yes, the child is made a child of God in baptism. What child, however, wants to grow up not knowing his father or to what family he belongs? He will soon forget his father, his heavenly father, if he is not exposed to his love and his mercy, his protection, through the example of his parents. How many times did you, as a child, say to your parent, mom or dad, Hey, Dad, show me how to do that. I've been watching you, but I, I don't quite get it. Parents model the Christian life. That's a part of the training. Answering the children's questions providing the love and forgiveness and asking of forgiveness, walking as Jesus did in the life of the child. If you did not grow up with a mother or a father, you have the perfect parent in God, the heavenly father, who shows and instructs in mercy and love through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we leave here today with children who were given new life, spiritual life, by their heavenly father. Mold them. Train your child in the way he should go. Be their example of Christian living. Show them in whose name they have taken. 
Let us all who are baptized here today learn to carry our unmasked relationship with our Lord, living under his grace and forgiveness in our daily lives. Amen.